Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really excited because I'm getting together and having a chat with Shelley Robinson all the way from America. Shelley, hello. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us. Thank you so much, Joss. I'm so happy to be here. So Shelley is a certified conscious parenting coach and a certified family wellness coach, and she helps parents worldwide to break generational cycles, to fill their homes with more compassion, calm, and joy. She is the founder of Raising Yourself, the creator of the Connected Kids Toolkit, and a community builder of 400,000 besties across her social media platforms. When she's not cheering on parents to become more deeply connected with their kids, you can find Shelley in her kitchen baking with her two children, sneaking in a game of ping pong with her hubby, or releasing stress at her weekly boxing class. I wonder if you might start just by sharing briefly a little bit about your journey into parenting and how you found yourself raising your children in this conscious way. Yeah, I would love to share that. So I am a mom of two and they are currently at the time of this podcast, 13 and eight. And I remember when I became a mom with my firstborn, I had this thought that I was going to teach him so much. And I thought, gosh, I can't wait to impart all these lessons and share my wisdom. And, you know, like I was excited as most parents are, right? And then a couple of years into my journey, I just kept having this like recurring thought about how he had so much to teach me. Like I had made this assumption going into parenthood that I was always going to be the teacher and he was always going to be the student. And the longer I was a parent, the more and more that narrative kind of flipped. And I thought, oh my gosh, this child has so much to teach me. And that was revealed to me in all of my (laughs) parenting faux pas where I was having adult temper, temper tantrums and I was losing my patience. And I was struggling to regulate my own feelings. And I thought, gosh, I have a lot to learn and I don't know everything. And this child is here to really mirror to me what I haven't, the lessons I haven't learned in life yet. And then years later, I had my second child. And again, she kind of delivered that same message to me. And it was around the time she was three or four that I had this thought. I was sitting at this community center, watching my son play a basketball game and something had happened that morning. And there was a conflict and it was again, like this lesson, one of them had delivered to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am raising myself right alongside my children. Like that thought popped into my mind and it was very humbling and very kind of like, like, you know, the heavens opened up and it was just kind of like this realization that that was it. That was the essence of parenting. And that was actually during the pandemic. And I thought, I'm going to just share about this a little bit online, this idea of like raising ourselves alongside alongside our kid. And that was, gosh, three years ago. And that's, you know, now raising yourself exists and I keep sharing and I keep showing up and hoping that like it helps people and it helps parents to just really 
realize that we're all in this together and that it's okay to learn right alongside your kids. Oh, I love that story, Shelley. It's so beautiful. And I think it's so true that our children do have so much to teach us. And I love this idea of us raising ourselves in parallel in this amazing connected process with our children as they grow up. And we're also tending to all of those younger parts in us that come up on the parenting journey at the same time. It's really beautiful. And I really love how you share on social media so many of these really core aspects about how to raise our children in a very different way to how we were raised, but really focusing on building secure connections and close attachment with our children and really prioritizing our relationship with them. Would you like to share something about that and and how you go about doing that? Yeah, I think one of the major differences for parents who are choosing to raise their kids differently than how they were raised. And I want to just share a quick side note. That doesn't mean your parents got it all wrong. That doesn't mean we're throwing our parents under the bus. It just means we're all evolving. We're all learning, right? So multiple things can be true at once where your parents could have gotten a lot of things right. And there could have been some things that you thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to pass that on to my kids. But I think one of the major differentiators between how so many of us in the conscious parenting space are parenting is that our kids have so much to teach us because they're sometimes they're triggering us in ways that reveals some emotional wounding that we have from childhood. And I think the difference is like previous generations might've gotten angry at their kids and felt very self-righteous and that those children deserve to be punished. And what we're doing as parents is saying, gosh, I wonder why I am so angry right now. I wonder what that's about. And we're getting curious about our own anger and frustration as parents instead of passing that hot potato of generational pain onto the next generation. We're pausing and saying, that feels like a hot button for me and I'm going to explore that. And so that's it's hard and it's messy and we do not always get it right. And I don't always get it right, but... It's so worthwhile, right? It's the work and the messiness and all of the overwhelm of this work. It's always worth it, right? Because we're planting seeds for the for our kids. And if they choose to have kids, you know, they'll have a different template that they're inheriting from us. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of us us pausing. I really loved how you were very compassionate at the beginning of that answer towards our parents, because, you know, it's easy to say they were doing the best they could with what they know, but that is actually really true that they really were. And of course, you know, most of us were raised in that sort of post-war period where our parents were experiencing very significant trauma without the support and the language in the culture to talk about trauma, to talk about attachment, to talk about all these things. So I really love that. And then I love what you're saying too about bringing curiosity to ourselves about our mm-hmm. reactions uh, and also owning the messy, uncomfortable, overwhelm that we all often experience and and I certainly do as well, but being willing yeah. to just sit in that discomfort just to see a little bit about what the message might be there for us. Uh-huh. I'd love to ask you about how you go about then being in that messiness, being in that discomfort and and unpacking and exploring with curiosity what the messages might be that are there for you when you have these big reactions to your children. So I'll share a story about that because I think some of this work can feel very philosophical and feel very 
hard to put into practice, right? Like you hear, we hear out there like inner child work and triggers and all of that stuff. And like, what does that look like in a real life setting? So I will share something that happened with me years ago when my now 13 year old was probably five and I was triggered in this moment. And I will just share a little bit about what that taught me. So he was not wanting to get in the bath or brush his teeth or something related to personal hygiene, right? That was very, that's very typical and developmentally normal at that age. Like, and I kept asking him and I kept asking him and he wouldn't do it. And he was very like, no, mommy, I'm not doing it. And it triggered something in me where I had a very, and when I say trigger, I, I don't mean like, oh, I'm a little bit annoyed or this is a little bit frustrating, but it was, it's like a disproportionate amount of anger for the, the current situation, right? It's like, he won't brush his teeth. Like this is not an emergency or a life or death situation, but it felt like life or death to me. It felt like I was being chased by a bear and I got really angry and I screamed at him and I just felt out of control. And that was like the very first time that I realized like, whoa, I was like, pump the brakes. I don't want that to ever happen again. And where did that anger even come from? Like it was so uncharacteristic for me and my personality and people didn't like see me as this like fly off the handle type of person. And so that's when I started to say to myself, I wonder what my anger has to tell me instead of just like, like blaming my kid for my anger, like, God, he made me so mad. And I used to do that. So I'm not, I'm far from perfect. And I definitely would just, you know, blame the child and say they made me mad. But that was the first time I decided to take responsibility for my anger and get curious about it and say, I wonder what that's about. And so I ended up kind of tracing that back to times in my own childhood whether it was in my family of origin or, you know, institutions where children exist and their voices are oppressed, that my voice didn't feel heard. And so it was so upsetting to me to feel that again from my child. Like I just, I wanted to be heard. And in that moment I felt shut down and I know he wasn't doing that on purpose. And I know that's illogical to think, but that's what it felt like. It kind of brings you, it catapults you back to that time in your childhood and brings up those same flood of feelings where you feel silenced. So that was the first time I, I started working through that and saying, okay, so when my kids talk back or don't want to do something, it does not mean that they're trying to silence me. It means they are being a kid, right? They're, that is all normal behavior. And I had to kind of work through like, well, what does it look like then to give, get my voice back? And so for me, like healing that wound meant learning how to set boundaries using my voice in social media, like creating the platform, like that was healing. Creating the Raising Yourself platform was healing for me because I got to use my voice and I got to share things I cared about. And just like kind of giving that gift back to yourself that you didn't get as a kid is really how you put this all into practice. So you identify, what did I not get as a kid? Bodily autonomy, having a voice, you know, you could name a number of different things. And then how do you give that to yourself as an adult? And that is the acts of reparenting yourself. That is raising yourself essentially, right? You're giving yourself what you didn't get so you can give it to your child and also heal that inner child wound that you incurred. Wow. I love how you explain that. It seems so, so straightforward. It seems so simple. And of course it's, it is in some ways, but it's also very difficult to do, but it's really clear, isn't it? When we have those really disproportionate reactions that are so, so 
unrelated, really. I mean, they seem so unreasonable in a way, and yet they're completely Uh out of our control. And and I love that question. I wonder what my anger has to tell me. And and you could use that question for any emotion that you feel in that real intense way as a result of their behavior. It's a really beautiful invitation to get curious about it. And I really liked how you're describing there that what you're talking about is identifying unmet needs that we've experienced in our life and all the pain that comes to us when we realize what what those are in that moment, but also how we can then so beautifully support ourselves and heal ourselves simply by finding ways to meet those needs in the present and then to be offering to meet those needs for our children in the present too. So it is this really gorgeous parallel process. I love how you describe that. Yeah, thank you. And I love the thought of knowing that if we're like getting curious about our own anger, like, gosh, I wonder what my anger has to tell me. And sometimes it's really simple. Sometimes it's just like, I should have, I should have eaten more today, or I didn't drink enough water. You know, sometimes it's like a physiological thing, but sometimes it's deeper. So I often hear from people like, well, sometimes I'm just annoyed and that's true. So we're talking about the type of anger that you just, you know, that you kind of echoed what I shared, which is like that disproportionate, like, deep-seated rage that comes up, right? But when we get curious about that for ourselves, and we can get curious about our kids' anger, right? We don't look at them with judgment and criticism, like, how dare you be angry that you didn't want that red sippy cup? It's just like, yeah, I hear you. Like, you didn't, you didn't want that. And we can get curious about why they might be angry. And maybe sometimes it's just developmental, Maybe they didn't get enough sleep, but it's just, it's like this compassion baton that we're passing on to the next generation. I love that. Yes, absolutely. And it's such a different perspective, isn't it? Because often still in in mainstream culture, there is this perspective that children, when they're behaving in ways that we find challenging, it's because they're naughty or because they're spoiled or because they're bad or because there's something wrong with them. And I really love this much more compassionate lens that we bring, which is seeing that there's always a legitimate reason why our children are behaving the way they are. And it's up to us to explore and to to discover what that reason is. Um, Let's let's move on then and talk about what we do when we get it wrong, in inverted commas, and when we Mm -hmm. are exploding or finding ourselves so activated by something that's going on either in relation to our children or something else. And perhaps we're very, very stressed and overwhelmed by something in life that you talk a lot about repairing and apologizing to children. And I think it's it's a beautiful thing. And it's also a very hard thing often for parents to learn how to do that because most of us never really heard an authentic apology ourselves when we were children. And also most of us were forced to say sorry when we weren't sorry at all. So it's a new thing to learn what an authentic apology sounds like. How, How do you go about supporting parents to understand that? Like, why is it important for us to say sorry? And and what does that mean to our children? Yeah. Well, for me, it's a huge relief that because we get to say we're sorry, we get to remain securely attached to our children. So what that means is we don't have to be perfect. We are allowed to mess up. Thank goodness, right? Like how much pressure do we put on ourselves? I, I think too, like for parents in this conscious parenting world, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we think, oh my gosh, I'm so hyper aware of like what I do to my child is going to affect them for life because things that happened to me affected me for life. But when there's repair, when there's connected repair, you can remain 
securely attached to your child. And also it's good for them to see what a genuine apology looks like. It's good for them to receive that, right? So I think I just want to normalize for parents that if you feel uncomfortable apologizing to your child or it feels like, oh, like it's normal. And I just want to share that. I, I vividly remember when my my son was two, I had I apologized to him for the first time for something I did. And I felt so like I wanted to crawl out of my skin. It was so uncomfortable. And I felt like ashamed for that. Like, gosh, why do I feel so uncomfortable apologizing to my two-year-old? Like that's, that seems like I shouldn't feel that way. But you know, when that's something you didn't see or grow up with, I think that's normal and that's okay. And that doesn't mean you should stop apologizing, but kids need to see us taking responsibility for our behavior, letting them know that they didn't deserve to be treated that way and explaining to them what we are going to do better next time to keep our tempers in check. So accountability, acknowledgement, you know, for the behavior and what we'll do better next time. And that's kind of the formula I use, and I used that with my daughter yesterday. Like she was upset about something and it was the end of the day. It's always the end of the day, right? For parents when we lose it, like I've gotten through the whole day and then at 5.30 right before dinner, it's like, so I had to, I kind of went through that formula with her and I said, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have, I know I was using like a rude or just kind of aggressive tone of voice and I was irritated and I I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. And next time I'm going to just like walk into another room and count to 10 and then I'm going to handle that differently. And, you know, I do try to do that. And that doesn't mean we never lose our tempers again, but we're just modeling for them what that looks like. Because if we want our kids to be able to be accountable for their behavior, we have to literally show them what that looks like in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The other thing that you talk about on social media, which I really love, is about how we actually apologize. I like that description that you just gave there. But one of the things you talk about is how often when parents are first starting this, they might have a tendency to say, I'm sorry, but, or I'm sorry, I shouted at you, but you made me feel, or when you did that, you made me feel, and that kind of thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that to explain how that is not exactly what you mean when you're talking about apology? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I think, I think if you have been on the receiving end as an adult of an, I'm sorry, but apology, like, you know, how invalidating that feels and how like it kind of negates the entire apology. So that's not a real apology that I think it's an instant, like, no. So, but that takes, again, that takes work because if you we're on the receiving end of that type of apology. And I know many parents weren't even on the receiving end of any apologies as a kid, but if you were blamed for your parents' feelings and that was wired into your brain, then it is natural to have that knee-jerk reaction that does not make you a bad parent or a bad person. It is just It's just an opportunity to say, hey, I know that when I apologize like that, that's actually not repairing. That's just like shifting the blame to my child for my feelings. And a child is never responsible for our feelings. We are allowed to say though, as parents, I'm feeling frustrated. You know, we don't have to be robots. We're allowed to be annoyed and irritated, but we don't blame someone for that. We say, I am feeling frustrated and annoyed right now. And I need just like 10 seconds to, to calm down so we can problem solve this together. But yeah, keeping the, the butt out of apologies is really, it's really key, but I also don't want to ever cast judgment on someone who's doing that because we're all learning. Right. So maybe Maybe you're trying to apologize and you've got that button there and like, 
step, the next step would be to like remove the butt and really take ownership of your behavior. Mm, Yes. I know. I used to like to say to myself that I'm trying (laughs) to create a blame-free home and, and sometimes it comes up and some, you know, sometimes we find ourselves talking in ways that we don't want to, of course, but aiming for that is really helpful for our children to, like you say, not feel responsible for our feelings. Yeah. Well, you talk about listening to feelings too, and that's obviously a big part of aware parenting to support our children mm-hmm. to to feel connected, to feel loved unconditionally, to feel heard. And But again, that is a difficult thing for us to learn to do, isn't it, to validate children and to really listen. We're not very good at listening often in, in our culture because we often tend to want to advise or to fix or yeah. to distract or people experience having love withdrawn or or they might be punished if they express feelings. So it, it's not easy to, to go about doing that. But again, this is such an important part of breaking the cycle, isn't it? What, what would you like people to understand about the importance of validating emotions? Yeah. You know what I call this? And this is how I think of it when my, when my kids are upset or if anyone I know in my circle of friends and family is upset is I think one of the most important things we can do is hold compassionate space for someone. So we can validate their feelings, of course, like, gosh, you seem so upset or so angry. Some kids don't like that. I will tell you, one of my children does not like it when I say, gosh, you seem angry. That's like a recipe for more anger. So, you know, you have to really attune to your kids. And for some kids, that is really validating. And if they feel relief being seen, and for other kids, that's very annoying because they already feel like escalated and you're just kind of like pouring gasoline on the fire with that phrase. So that's why parenting is so tricky, right? Because there is not this like magical formula for every child, but just being a witness to their pain is sometimes all a person. And I say a person, because this is true for children and adults is all a person needs. They don't need us to swoop in and fix anything. We can ask them like, do you want me to help you problem solve this? Or do you just want me to listen? And just being witnessed sometimes is like one of the most healing things we can give people. And I know when I'm in pain and I'm dysregulated and I go to my husband or I go to one of my girlfriends and say, you know, I vent and I process and I tell them all the things that are going wrong. They hold compassionate space for me and they don't, they don't come in and like fix all my problems. They just listen and see me. And then I exhale and I say, thank you. That's all I needed. And sometimes they'll say, do you want me to help you with this? And I'm like, no, actually, I just I just needed to get that off of my chest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And we can't do that for other people if we can't do that for ourselves. And that's kind yeah. of where it always comes back to, right? If we can't hold space for ourselves when we are upset and when we're overwhelmed and dysregulated, then it's really hard to do that for other people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we really need to be receiving that kind of loving support and acknowledgement of what we're experiencing and, and that safe. I think safety is a really important part of it for us and for our children, isn't it? And creating that sense of emotional safety. What what do you think are some of the important aspects of creating emotional safety for children? I think creating emotional safety starts with seeing your kids for who they are and accepting them for who they are in all of their states and all of their phases and all of their interests. And just never coming in with like this ulterior motive to mold them into what you think they should be, but rather just saying, I love you exactly the way you are. And I know that's easy to say, right? We can all say that, but we have to like 
bring that to life. So if our child comes to us with like something that we're like, hmm, I don't, I really was hoping you would play basketball and you want to do ballet. And I know that's a really simple one, but there's going to, as they get older, you know, they're going to have different opinions than us. And it's just being able to give them the space to be their authentic selves without us getting in there and like letting our ego take over and think and, and kind of like manipulate the situation where we think, well, I think they should really be like more like this. And it makes me feel better about myself if they do this thing. Right. So I think emotional safety starts with radical acceptance of our kids. Mm, yeah. Accepting them for who they are and, and loving them. However, they're behaving as well is such an important part of that too, isn't it? That. That's- we don't have to agree. We we right. often find their behavior very difficult and they may need support with that, but we we love them anyway and we want them to know that they're they're deserving of love however they're behaving. I remember reading a beautiful quote, I think it was from Pam Leo actually in her book okay. Connection Parenting, where she talked about how mm. you know, it's when they appear to be deserving the least of love is when they need it the most. So yeah, that's that's a beautiful yes. part of it as well. Yes. I love that. And you know, so many parents out there, and I see this in my comments all the time, have this narrative that goes something like, well, if you're not, you know, you got to prepare them for the tough, harsh world and they've got to be ready. So that starts at home and you've really got to let them know what to expect. And I just always push back on that and say, no, home will always be the safe haven and where they will find emotional safety so that when they encounter that harsh, tough stuff in the real world and putting that in quotes, then they have like that foundation from which they're working, right? To be able to handle those things and stay aligned to their values. And, you know, if they find themselves that's regulated in the harsh, tough world, then they have tools that we have equipped them with at home to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a difference, isn't there, between that true resilience that comes from that knowing, that deep knowing that you're beloved versus that resilience that's seen in our society as resilience, but that's like pushing through and forcing even when you're feeling horrible about a situation. It's a really different experience for a child. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important too, like this conversation makes me think of something else when I think about emotional safety, which is making sure kids know they don't have to earn our love. So they don't have to hustle for it and they don't have to get accolades so that we accept them and we'll never withhold our affection, right? So this is just a, you can rest easy. Yes. You know, you can rest and you don't have to hustle because you're going to have to hustle in so many other areas of life in that tough, harsh world, right? But you don't have to hustle for me. Hmm. And this, of course, requires us, as, again, to do some work on ourselves, too, because sometimes yeah. we do love our children more when they're getting an A rather than a D. Or, yeah. You know, so right. And sometimes, yeah. Sorry, go on. Right. And if you flip that back on yourself, are we are we saying to ourselves, you know, when I have that beautiful home or when I'm making that salary in corporate or when I have the perfect dinner party, then, then I will accept myself. So if we're conditionally accepting ourselves, then it's, we're not doing it on purpose, but we will inevitably do that with our kids a little bit. So it's kind of like finding that emotional security and safety within ourselves versus saying, I don't have to hustle for my own self-love. Like I can rest easy in my own self-love, whether, you know, I'm, making this amount of money or living in this suburb or buying the right clothes or whatever it is that we're doing to chase acceptance in this world. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's that real radical self-acceptance, isn't it? It's really, really profound. One of the other things, Shelley, that you speak about that I really love, and I really love the videos that you share about it, is talking about punishments. And what I think you really often show very powerfully in your videos is, is what parents sometimes think that they're telling children when they punish them and what the experience is actually like for a child and, and what it is actually teaching them. And non-punitive discipline is a really central aspect of aware parenting. So I really love talking about this part. What would you like to share about that? Yeah, I think because so many prior to our generation were just raised on punitive discipline. I don't even like saying punitive discipline because discipline means to guide and to teach, right? But if they were raised with punishment, they assumed that well, that's how I was raised. So I'm going to pass it on to my kids and that's how kids learn. And what I believe is that punishment and curiosity cannot coexist, right? So if our child is melting down or not cleaning their room or whatever it is like that we want them to do, and they're not doing it when we're leading with our ego at the steering wheel and saying, you know, coming at this from like an authoritarian sort of like, I'm the boss, this child needs to comply, then yeah, you can get them to comply through fear and like discomfort, but at what cost, right? Now, when we're curious, we're saying, gosh, I wonder why they are behaving this way. And I wonder if it's worth having a conversation about to understand their point of view. Now that is like the recipe for helping them to feel seen and understood and supported, right? Because we have to change this assumption that children are doing this maliciously and just to make us mad. We have got to change our mindset to say, they're good. I'm a good parent. They're a good kid. And we are on the same team. And I am going to get curious about why they're acting this way. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries, right? We have to have guardrails to keep our kids safe. So this isn't like a permissive parenting free-for-all, but it's it's the both and like having the, the safety guardrails, whether that's physical safety or emotional safety, and also coming alongside them and saying, I see you're struggling with this. Like, uh, and I am here for you. And I think we can figure this out together. And just coming at it with a lot more humility. Mm. Yeah, it's such a beautiful approach, isn't it? And of course, when we punish our children, that just teaches our children that our love is conditional on them behaving That's right. in the way that we want them to. And right. in order for them to do what it is that we're asking them to do, they have to be fearful mm-hmm. of us, fearful of the consequences yeah. of not doing it. And it yeah. also just teaches them to get clever at, at sneaking it. And and punishments don't work. I mean, you know, you can put a three-year-old on a naughty chair, but what do you do when they're right. 16? You know, it's just right. and, and what exactly. has it done to your relationship? Like what has the cost been to your relationship of of having that dynamic in the family? Right. And I, you know, I always remind parents that emotional regulation is a skill, like riding a bike is a skill. And another video I share every once in a while is just this, I kind of share this idea where parents are like cheering their kid on when they're learning to ride a bike. Right. And they're so excited and the child falls off the bike. And most parents are going to be like, it's okay. You're going to fall off the bike. You can get back up and they're very encouraging. Right. But when a child is learning the skill of regulating their feelings and they don't, and they fall off the bike of, you know, regulating their feelings, parents go from zero to 60 in like three seconds, right? Like 
how dare you, you know, shout or slam the door. And it's like, no, that is a skill. Just like riding a bike is a skill. It's a very different kind of skill, but, and honestly, it's a skill most adults don't have. And I say this knowing that like, I go to, you know, these soccer games every week and watch my kids. And I'm like, most adults don't know how to regulate their feelings. So it's, it truly is a skill that you have to work at. And you, it's not magical where just because you want your child to regulate their feelings, they can just do it. You have to teach it. You have to model it. You have to practice it with them. You have to give them like examples and how to ways to do it. So Mm. it, it takes work. It does. Absolutely. And it's very ironic, isn't it? That parents often have expectations of their children that they are completely unable to to meet themselves right right they're like regulate your emotions while I lose my temper and slam the door and ground you for a week and it's like "Hmm." yeah where's the interesting yeah (laughs) I mean in aware parenting we have a slightly different perspective about emotional regulation because we're really I think the trouble with the words emotional regulation is that it's often used to mean artificially calming down your child and it might be say something like you know take some deep breaths and calm down and really what we're trying to do is to support children to go through their natural processes falling apart and letting it all out and then they automatically come back to calm themselves so but it it is really interesting that parents often have these expectations and and really one of the other things that you share that I love is talking about how parents have tantrums about their children's tantrums right and I've done it like so I'm like casting no shade but you know it's just again you have to own up to it and say oh I did that I literally did what I didn't want my kid to do but yeah I love how you shared Joss going through the process of just so I think about emotions kind of like digesting food like you can't bypass that right you have to have maybe the tears, or maybe you're journaling, or maybe you just let yourself be sad for an hour, or you let yourself be angry and you share that anger with someone, you tell them about it. But yeah, it's going through the process of allowing your body and your mind and your heart to digest all those feelings so that you can come out on the other side of it with a cleaner slate, right? Otherwise it all kind of, you know, it's starting to stack up against each other. And then something little happens and then the kid flies off the handle or we fly off the handle when we're not I mean, this is probably a terrible analogy, but the digesting of the emotions, we're not when we're not processing them, when we're not going through the full range of them, they stack up and then the littlest things set us off. And we're like, where did that come from? Yes. And we see that in children and we definitely see it in ourselves yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the yeah. other things you talk about, Shelley, is around tending to our inner child. I know we've touched on this already, but you share really beautifully about many of the things that we longed to hear ourselves when we were children and how we can now lovingly speak some of those things to ourselves. And I know you have some resources, which I'll ask you about at the end, but what what do you think we can do to support ourselves with with that part of our healing to be be sharing messages with ourselves that we would have really yearned to hear as children? Yeah, gosh, there are so many different things that I could share for myself or, you know, that I hear in my community But I think one of the biggest ones that comes up is just the allowance of making mistakes. Like so many of us, whether again, this sometimes this is our family of origin and sometimes it's like in school settings or religious institutions where you are not allowed to make mistakes and making mistakes equals shame. So mistakes equaling learning, many of us grew up associating 
imperfection with shame, right? And so that is such a such an important narrative to unlearn as adults is that self-compassion for giving ourselves grace when we mess up. And I will share a quick story about that that I just thought about. So not too long ago, I was wanting to decorate my one of the walls in my house and make with my daughter's artwork. So I wanted to make it like a little cute art gallery, put all of her paintings up there. I was taping everything up on our wall. And as I was doing it, I was like, gosh, I feel like this tape is really, really sticky tape. Like it feels like it's not going to come off. (laughs) And I started feeling some of the picture frames back that were just paper, little cheap paper frames. And I was ripping the drywall. I was ripping the paint and it was, I was starting to see the drywall and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh no. And of course, instantly I was like ashamed. I was like, what is wrong with me? And I started saying all these really unkind things. Like, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did this. Why would I, did I not read the instructions? What is wrong with me? So, but by then in my journey, I had trained myself and trained my brain to catch myself and say, no, we're not doing this. It's okay. You made a mistake. So you're speaking to like that younger version of yourself saying it's okay to make a mistake. And those are like the little micro moments that you can just really like soften your reaction to your mistakes and at the same time heal that wound from childhood where making mistakes equals shame. So you're kind of overrating those neural pathways, right? You're saying, I'm not going to carry this narrative with me until my deathbed. I'm going to change this and I'm going to rewrite it. And our, our brains are they're neuroplastic and they can change. And so that gives me so much hope because I'm not stuck with these thoughts forever if I don't want to be. But the coolest part was like a couple of weeks after that happened, I was looking at this wall, the dry, it's just totally torn up and it still is. I haven't fixed it. But I was sitting there lamenting with my 13 year old son about how frustrated I was. I was kind of like letting some of that shame come out. And I was like, I cannot believe I did that. And I was just kind of like down on myself about it because I was looking at it and annoyed that I hadn't fixed it yet. And he was, he put his little hand, he's not little, he's 13 and he's my, he's 5'11", but he put his hand on my back and was like, mom, it is okay to make mistakes. It's fixable. It's fine. He was like so gentle. And like, it makes me teary eyed thinking about it because that's all I needed. Like that, like, I don't care if that wall ever gets fixed. The fact that he has that message inscribed in his heart, I was like, oh, You know, like those are the little wins that we get to treasure doing this work and like it makes the messiness all worth it, right? So that is kind of a long story to address inner child work. But that is, again, a really specific real life example that doesn't require us to like go to this faraway retreat or buy 10 books. It's just those little mini moments every day where we get to rewrite a narrative in our mind about how we respond to ourselves when we make mistakes as parents, as humans, you know, we're allowed to be imperfect. I love that. Such a beautiful, touching story. And it's it's a really gorgeous example of just that compassion that we can learn to offer ourselves increasingly. Mm-hmm. As It's like learning this new language of compassion. And I really yeah. love that your beautiful boy, because this is how you've spoken to him most of the time in his life, yeah. he has internalized that and that's now the language that he he goes to automatically and that he's able right. to offer others and himself. And what an amazing, amazing gift that that is for him, for his life, to have grown yeah. up to know that already aged 11. And I think it's interesting because often when I, w- I work with parents, they really want to offer this to their children and they really want to be raising their children differently. 
mm-hmm. they don't want to be offering, they don't want to be punishing their children, but they're still punishing themselves when, yes. when they make mistakes or when they get things wrong or when things don't turn out quite how they should or how they wanted them to. And, and learning that is, unlearning that rather, is quite a long process and it's it's difficult. But the more that we can do it, the more free we become. And yeah. it's it's such a liberating thing. I noticed the other day, like I did a post and I had a, a typo in it. And mm-hmm. yeah, the old me a few years ago would have like, oh, right, got to take it down, edit it, yeah. put it back up again. And and the new me just is like, you know, after after many years of relearning this language, I'm now able to just say, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter that there's a typo there. I quite I quite like that there are typos that are there. So right. it's, a, it's another opportunity that. to just be like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes and and to be yeah. Yeah, still modeling that for my <clears throat> children too. But that's a really, it's a really gorgeous thing, isn't it? When we see in our children them behaving in ways that are just so touching and so compassionate, <clears throat> so kind to us. My son sent me a text message today. My son's 20 now, but he sent me a text okay. message today and he was like, how are you, mom? And I went, oh, yeah, I'm really overwhelmed, actually. And he was like, why are you overwhelmed? So I told him all the things. And then he wrote me this beautiful message that was, just, oh, that sounds really tough and just sending yeah. you lots of love and a reminder that you've got this. And, you know, it's so beautifully touching when when we see these things in our children. It makes it all yeah. so, so worth it. Absolutely. I love that. And I love how you shared, I don't think I'll share it as eloquently as you, but just this idea of like, if you if you truly want to stop punishing your children, like you have to believe that you actually never deserve to be punished. And that's confronting, right? Because that can bring up a lot of big feelings about how we were parented and kind of reconciling like what we deserved. And so, like you said, it's worth it because on the other side of that is really emotionally safe kids, emotionally safe inner kids, and just parents who are more equipped to deal with all the ups and downs of raising kids. Yeah. And it is interesting, isn't it? When we were on the receiving end of punishments as as children, we really had to internalize that message that there was something wrong with us or that we were bad. That was the only way we could make sense of the world. So it's a really big thing to start undoing Mm -hmm. that. Right. It is. And it's very, very courageous. And I always just want to say that to parents because it's, I don't think it's very celebrated in our society, like the willingness to deconstruct from those narratives. And oftentimes we're bullied for it. I mean, I'm online enough and I share enough of this content that I get comments all the time from people that are very opinionated and aggressive about this idea of like not punishing kids and how it's going to lead to entitled brats and all of the things that people think not punishing your kids is going to lead to. And it makes me sad because there's such a lack of awareness for, you know, like it's, it's like, I know those people when they say that they deserve that they, they believe that they deserve to be punished and they still believe that. And they're carrying that around and, you know, passing that on to another generation of kids. Wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you're on the receiving end of that. That's, that's really hard to be face to face with that all the time. And, And sometimes social media can be a tricky place where people might be saying things more harshly than they would if it was speaking to your face. But 
I love that compassionate view that you can see again and you can offer to others as well that you see, again, it's always looking underneath behavior, isn't it? That there's always a legitimate reason why people behave the way they behave. Yeah. Well, and I will say, you know, I, the majority of the comments I get are so supportive and so encouraging, but sometimes when those discouraging ones sneak through, it's a good reminder to me, like, because sometimes it's easy to live in this little conscious parenting bubble where I think everyone thinks this way and raises their kids. This way. Yeah. And then I get this like stark reminder, like, nope, I just, I unfortunately think we're still in the minority. We are growing and our voices are getting louder and there is more awareness around this topic for sure. But I still think we have a very long way to go. And so those comments like that kind of jolt me back into reality. And they're honestly what kind of inspire me to do some so many of my videos because I I like to like when I see comments like that where those belief systems are still so prevalent, I like to like flip the narrative and say, well, what about if we thought about it this way? Like, could we think about it this way? And for some of us, we're subconsciously believing that, right? Like some people are very blatant and they'll always punish, right? That's going to always be their thing. But some of us like have a lot of subconscious stuff that we need to unravel. And so some of the videos are really meant to kind of pull at those unconscious threads that are still really embedded in our psyches. And we don't want them to be, we're like, ew, I don't want to think like that. But kind of confronting those with videos that show like alternative ways of thinking about how we view children. Yeah, I think you do that really, really so clever. And I, in fact, I was watching one the other day. No, oh, today that I thought that was really amazing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the one about body autonomy. And you've got this beautiful video of uh, Uncle Bob wanting a cuddle with the Uncle with Bob. The <laughs> do you want to just talk through that a little bit to explain it? Because yeah, I think that's a really great example of what you're talking about. Because yep, we certainly still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. So right now it's about to be the holidays. And so that means for a lot of families interacting with relatives who do not view raising kids in the same way that we do. Right. So some of that involves like offering, I'm going to just give, you know, an example of an uncle Bob or an aunt Becky or whatever hugs and affection that kids do not want to give them. And so I did this video where I shared Uncle Bob kind of pressuring this little girl for a hug. Don't don't hurt Uncle Bob's feelings. And the mom stepping in, me being the mom, saying, does asking their child, do you actually want a hug from Uncle Uncle Bob? And the child says no. And so the mom holds her ground and says, sorry, Susie does not want a hug today. And kind of goes on to explain like why advocating for her bodily autonomy is important. And it doesn't matter who the affection is from. She gets to say, no, she's in charge of her body and that's going to keep her safe today. And it's going to keep her safe down the road. But that being said, if we were kind of, if we're kind of still in like that people pleasing, like I don't want to rock the boat mode as parents, we feel a little uncomfortable pushing back on uncle Bob, right? Cause that little girl in us, or maybe a little boy in us kind of rises to the surface and says, I don't want to disappoint anyone. I don't want to like make this person upset. And we're tempted to give into that. Right. It's like, and then we get into that thinking like, Oh, what's one hug, you know, it's not a big deal. So we have to, in those moments, push back against those subconscious beliefs that we grew up with that were wired into our brains and say, no, this ends with me. Like I am going to have the courage. I know that sounds like a small thing, but it's not like to have the courage to say no and advocate for your child simultaneously advocates for your inner child. You are literally standing up for both of them at the same time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you use the word courageous because it really is easier for us to power over our children than to yeah. risk offending grandma. But actually, mm-hmm. when we when we are our child's ally and we advocate for them and we explain it in a really beautiful way to, to the family so that we minimize the, the offense yeah. that they're going to take. But that sends such a powerful message sure. to our children too, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, maybe grandma or uncle Bob won't change their minds, but maybe they will. You never know. Yeah. You never know what kind of seeds that plants them. And maybe next year they will, you know, ask Susie, would you like a hug or a high five or a fist bump? And they give them options, you know, so you just never know what sort of ripple effect those kinds of approaches will have on the rest of the family. Yeah. So, I mean, on that note, I'd love to ask you a bit then about how you can see that what we do in our families to support our children and what we do in our families to support ourselves with our own reparenting whilst doing that, mm-hmm. how that ripples out into our communities and into the world in in a way that is important and significant. What would you like to say about that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So when you say that, I just picture us as parents planting these little seeds and helping our kids to like grow these really beautiful gardens out in the rest of the world. And I think in pictures a lot, if you can't tell, like I always think about this work in, in imagery because it has the potential for so much beautiful growth outside of our homes. So perfect example for children taking this out into the world, like in a school setting or in a play setting is just conflict resolution, right? So if at home, one option with conflict is that we can fight fire with fire, which just leads to more conflict, more hurt feelings, more anger. And so if our child is pushing back or yelling at us and we just give more of that to them, we are teaching them that's how you fight. That's how you resolve conflict is more fire. But if we're teaching them you fight, and I I shouldn't even use the word fight, but that you resolve conflict with communication. Imagine them going out into the world and instead of like popping their buddy in the nose at recess or just insulting them, what if they just learn to actually like talk through it? And I know that's a tall order for a kid and that's not always going to be developmentally appropriate for really young kiddos. But the more we practice that with them at home and teach them that that's what conflict resolution looks like, as they get older, they're going to be able to really embrace that skill and use it as their brain catches up with their abilities and everything. So I think, and you know, how many adults in the world do we see are not resolving conflicts peacefully? That's a whole other topic, right? So that's like, that's the potential ripple effect it could have. So those are the kids that are going to grow up into adults who know how to communicate through conflict and not use and not choose violence and mean-spirited language to get their way. Yeah, wow. I loved how you described that. Yeah, it's just got the real power to to transform the world, hasn't it? Just what we do. Yeah. It's so, yeah. so significant for the future yeah. of, of mankind, the future of the planet. It's just really a power. Right. And, you know, yeah, it is. And I think so. one thing we do at home, and we don't do it often, but if my kids get into a conflict, we have a table in the kitchen that we call communication station. And when they're just locked into like a conflict. We just sit down and each person, and I, I sit there like kind of refereeing because I think kids, depending on their age, still kind of need some level of coaching. We just sit and tell our points. They, they, one of them tells their point of view and their side of the story. And the other is required to listen without judgment and no interruptions. And I go into those 
conflict saying, we might not solve this problem. Like we might walk away and you still might feel pretty grumpy toward the other person. All we're going to do is practicing listening and holding space for that person's point of view. I want you to hear their side. I want them to hear your side. No one is right or wrong. No one is bad or good. We're not going to slap labels on any of this. We're just going to listen without judgment. And then we're going to walk away. And sometimes that takes like five minutes. Sometimes it takes 20 minutes. And when we started doing this, it did not go well. It was pretty like (laughs) lots of interrupting, lots of judgment, lots of don't you say, I didn't say that, blah, blah. So it's taken like a lot of practice to just zip the lips and listen. But I think just like what we talked about earlier, just the ability to hold space and listen to someone's side of the story is a skill. And I think if more adults could do that, the world would look really, really different in a more beautiful way. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really core cool, central part of aware parenting as well, to have family meetings where everybody's listened to with respect, where it's a democratic yeah. thing so that everybody's yes. voice matters equally, regardless of what age you are, whether you're a child or an adult, <clears throat> your voice mm-hmm. at the table is equally valid and you're deserving yeah. of the same respect and the same listening. It's an incredibly powerful thing to offer children, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So I'm aware that we're coming towards the end, Shelley, and I wonder how people can learn more about you and what you offer and how to, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, I would love to share that. So if you want to learn more about me and what I have to offer, you can go to ShellyRobinson.com on my website and on social media. I can be found under Raising Yourself on both Facebook and Instagram. And I offer a couple of resources. One of them is a free guide for parents called Less Yelling, More Compassion. And it really just talks about everything we talked about today, right? Just giving ourselves more compassion, giving our kids more compassion and celebrating all of the things we are getting right. So it's very oriented toward focusing on where parents are having victories every day. It's not, this guide isn't like you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. It's really shining a light on where you are getting it right. And acknowledging like where, if you're not getting it right, where you can give yourself some compassion around that. So that's one free resource on my website. And the other one that I'm really passionate about is called the Connected Kid Toolkit. And it, again, it encompasses a lot of what we talked about today. It's three different resources. It's 50 conversation cards that include a lot of things we talked about today, Joss, like you don't have to earn my love. All of your feelings matter, you know, like instilling these truths into our kids. Um, a reparenting workbook and a lot of activities to bring all of those, all of those conversations to life in really fun ways. So that is available at kidtoolkit.com. Beautiful. I'll put all those links in the show description. Uh, And the last thing that I always ask my guests is if you could go back to the beginning of your parenting journey, knowing what you now know to be true, what would you love to be able to tell yourself at the beginning that would have been really helpful to understand back then? Hmm. Oh, I love that question. Let me think about that. That it's okay to not know everything, that it's okay to learn along the way. I think I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself to be quote unquote, perfect out of the gates. And I think that honestly just made me more irritable and dysregulated, putting that sort of pressure on myself and that there's really no handbook out there for how to do this and that it's it's okay to learn right alongside our kids. Oh, that's beautiful. I just felt this whole sort of like oh, sigh of yeah. relief just hearing that. It's such a beautiful message for for parents early on in this process to hear. So thank you for that. Yeah. 
Shelley, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoy listening to all of your wisdom and your sharing about this. And I, I love what you share on social media. It's really, really beautiful. So I will definitely put all of those descriptions and links in, into the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we finish? Thank you. No, I just, I want to applaud you for doing this work. I think it's so important. It can feel lonely and just know that I am in your corner cheering you on. Oh, thank you so much. That's beautiful. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.